Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Good everyone, welcome to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. The Bucks season has unfortunately ended since we last spoke, and even though it ended on a sour note, I have a lot of special guests that I'm working on lining up for you this summer, as we'll continue to come at you every Thursday, so make sure to stay tuned. We start out with a banger today. However, before I introduce him, make sure to stay tuned after the interview. I was involved in some unfortunate Twitter drama over the weekend that ended up going viral, and I just wanted to say a bit about my role in it, and I'll touch on that at the end, so just make sure I'll touch on that after the interview. But now, on to the good stuff. The blog father himself, Frank Madden, will be joining us today. Frank is also the founder of Brew Hoop, and he's a current podcaster on Locked On Bucks. You can find him on Twitter at FMaddenNBA. All right. Well, Frank is here with me now. Frank, I appreciate you letting me borrow some of your prestige to this podcast and especially your time. Are, are you sure you're ready for this? <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I, I did a radio hit earlier today. I may be recording Locked On Bucks later. I'm, I'm going to be feeling very bucked out uh, probably this week, but um, you've caught me before I've reached my breaking point, Brian. So let's let's get into it. Perfect. And that check will be in the mail real soon, too, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Just don't cash it until after the first of the next month. Sure. All right. So today we're going to do something that I call or is called three columns. Um, we're going to talk about what worked about what worked well for the Bucks this season. What are we worried about or what are th- some things that didn't work well? Um, and what are their next steps moving forward? Because I think, you know, we're at the point where we can do a little reflection, a little review, but also kind of peek toward what the future holds. So talk about what worked well, what are we worried about, what are the next steps? So really just start with that, what worked well column. So Frank, what what's one thing from the past season, whether it be playoffs or the whole season in general, that you think really went well for Milwaukee this season? I mean, I think just holistically, you know, we knew we've known for a while that that this summer was going to be kind of a reckoning for how you were going to build this team around Giannis. And and obviously, there is still going to be a lot of debate about what really the smartest way to do that is. Um, But I think the most important thing we saw is that, you know, we talked for so many years around, well, this team has the talent to be a top 5-10 defense. His team has, you know, with Giannis, the, the potential to be a really good offense. And, you know, they obviously were already sort of starting to show that that offensively even before Bud showed up. But, you know, we finally saw the realization of kind of like all those things in terms of like a finished product of building, you know, kind of an ethos and an approach on the court that 
delivered certainly from a you know certainly from a regular season standpoint and, and I would argue even from a playoff standpoint I mean you know again ultimately going six games in these finals having really every opportunity to to go to the NBA finals and just you know not getting the performances you need to do that and obviously whatever we I'm sure we have all kind of thought way more about that than we probably would like. But um, but I think, you know, just establishing that the ceiling of this team is actually like way higher than we ever got to see under Jason Kidd and that it actually was as high as, as I think you would have hoped it to be, right? Winning 60 games, having home court throughout the playoffs. Um, and obviously, I think being in a position where you could have um, you could have contended, you know, could have won a championship. Even I, I would argue. Um, and even though the Raptors, I think, were ultimately the better team, you know, over the last week of that series, um, you know, it's hard to complain about just the way the Bucks, you know, given the way the Bucks kind of finished. That, like, yeah, it felt like okay, the Raptors were were outplaying them, but you know, again, not many things needed to change to to have a different result that series. And and obviously, going into the summer, knowing that this team can compete for a championship is very different, at least from my perspective. I would approach this summer differently in terms of player decisions, um, knowing that this team can compete on that level mm-hmm. versus if you know they won 50 games and got knocked out in the second round in five or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I, think, I think establishing the ceiling of the team um, is, is critical. I think it's obviously important for Giannis and kind of making him see the opportunity to, to stay in Milwaukee and compete every year. Um, kind of all that is, is, is really important. So I, that that's probably what it would start with. And, and obviously we can kind of get into a lot of the kind of other stuff. I mean, I think just obviously we can talk a lot about Giannis. We can talk about, you know, sort of the, the culture of winning that kind of has come with that. Um, we can talk about just sort of the way that, that Bud maximized role players and, and sort of a lot of those other things. But I think just fundamentally, I mean, there finally felt like there was a real like, process for how you win games this year and the results obviously bore that out right we no longer had to worry about um was this team just not talented enough was this team a sleeping giant or or you know what what to make of them now we finally saw what they could be and and i think that's obviously really important yeah i think you know especially comparing like what we thought at the beginning of this season what this team could become they really i think exceeded expectations of even the most optimistic fans you know they were the best team in the nba for 93 games um and they really if Giannis's main goal is winning they gave him every reason to stay in milwaukee um and i think that's a huge first step and so we'll see where that goes i think that was great like i know that fans are disappointed especially with the 60 wins in the regular season and then going up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think, you know, based on those sample sizes or how the season went up to that point, like, people are disappointed, but I think just overall, like, a year ago or even right before the season started or a month into the season, you know, lasting until Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals is a huge accomplishment. And, yeah, I mean, it sets that – it's a – I shouldn't. I almost said it sets the cult, culture, but the culture has already been set throughout the season. But I think it just gives them that building block. A team that didn't make it out of the first round now has valuable experience. Now has hard stuff that they've gone through together. I mean, we'll see if the team stays intact, um, but I think it will. So it kind of gives them that that you know experience to build off of and and go. I mean. You usually don't see a team unless they're the Warriors jump from first round playoff exits all the way to the NBA Finals. Usually it is a progression. I mean, how long did it take Toronto to kind of knock on that doorstep, even though they changed over with DeRozan and Kawhi Leonard? But it took them years to get through that wall. So, yeah, one thing that kind of switching gears as far as what worked well, I think they proved that 
they kind of showed a formula for how a team can win in the NBA without a, and I'm going to quote, true number two option. Um, a lot of people struggle to see Middleton or see the Bucks winning um, an NBA championship with Middleton as their number two, but I think Milwaukee really showed that by having that balanced attack behind Giannis and by having three number three offense to kind of un- um offset Middleton when he has his kind of down games I think they showed that that can be a viable strategy especially for a small market team who probably won't ever be able to get that second stud in there so I think for me that was you know encouraging to see is that they kind of showed well here's a formula of four guys or three guys who can carry the offense behind Giannis and then behind Middleton after that yeah I I think I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think that'll also bleed into kind of like the, the what worries us kind of camp um, in terms of like, you know, really, is, is there another level or, or how does the ceiling we've seen, especially in the regular season, but even in the first two rounds of the playoffs and first two games of, the, of these finals um, is, you know, is there, I don't want to say is, is there, are there limitations to that because you don't have, you know, the depth of, you know, multiple all-stars, multiple um, top 10 to 15 type guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, fl- the flip side is that, that, you know, that question was answered with, well, you know, cause someone was asking me like, or someone coming to me, you know, and, and again, I don't want to get into a Chris Middleton argument, but someone said, well, Middleton's not, not good enough as a number two. And, you know, my question was, well, good enough for what? Right. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. good enough to be, you know, like a, a clear cut max player. Oh, sure. I, I, I totally get that, you know, view. Right. I mean, um, you know, he, he's not like a top 10 to 15 type player for sure. Right. He's not as good as, you know, when, when you look at like the Warriors, like their quote unquote number two, either being Kevin Durant or <laughs> Steph Curry, depending on your perspective. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, there is no illusion of that. Um, I think, but it's interesting. I mean, you look at kind of these other teams, I mean, Toronto, um, I mean, I think Siakam overall is probably their second best player this year. I mean, Lowry is still very impactful to winning, even if his kind of you know general stats like don't kind of bear the the, the outline of a of a traditional star player. Um, but I think Toronto is sort of carrying a similar torch as far as they have one super duper star who obviously played better than Giannis in the last round of the playoffs, and they're going to compete for a championship even without you know a clear number two star. Right? I mean, Kyle Lowry was a you know, fringe all-star guy who's still really good. Siakam didn't make the all-star team. Um, and so I think this, you know, I think in the in the league as a whole, like, you know, both of these teams were actually, I'd say, kind of victories for the little guys, victories for sort of the teams that, that don't have, you know, the the kind of four or five, four or five all-stars on one roster type approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, I think, you know, something we talked a lot about with a year ago was, well, the, it's so important to get a good head coach because, great head coaches make role players look good. And obviously, um, you know, I think the, the rising tide for the bucks, um, you know, postseason stuff, you know, I think there's some, certainly some questions we can talk about with bud as far as the postseason and, and some of the things he did or didn't do, um, in the, in the, uh, Raptor series. But I mean, it's undeniable, obviously what he was able to do in terms of turning around this team and, you know, just the number of guys who, contributed to winning basketball off the bench this year who a year ago were guys that you know i mean whether you're talking about brooke lopez pat Connaughton, um you know i, I kicked dirt on dj wilson you know <laughs> like um you know i mean all these guys who who a year ago you would have said like those guys aren't rotation players those guys are not you know going to contribute to a 60 win team 
all of a sudden this year they did. And, mm-hmm. you know, you even had guys um, who I think can contribute and be rotation guys and who were for various points. I mean, like Snell and, and Wilson obviously didn't really play at all in the playoffs. Um, we saw them also contribute, right? I mean, we saw Thon Maker actually be part of good lineups. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like something that I didn't really think expect to see. So um, I think just, yeah, I mean, Bud, um, just kind of everything, you know, that the culture – um, the way that he was able to kind of extract the best basketball you could hope for from a lot of these guys in the roster. And, and interesting, I mean, I think Giannis and Chris were probably the guys who had the hardest time adjusting to what Bud was doing, which is kind of ironic, I guess, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe that sacrifice and that sort of growing pains um, kind of came at the benefit of the fact that everybody else sort of was able to, to kind of adapt quickly to the system and um, and find roles. And, you know, I mean, I think certainly... The good news is, you know, we talk a lot about all these guys that are going to have to get paid. But on the flip side, um, you know, you're still going to have guys next year who hopefully you can get real meaningful kind of minutes out of, right? I mean, I think I, I want to see what, you know, certainly Sterling Brown can do. Um, I want to see what Dante DiVincenzo can do, right? Uh, Pat Connaughton, you know, all these guys, you know, DJ Wilson, all these guys are making $3 million or less next year. And I think you have at least, um, you saw enough from them that even if they ultimately didn't, you know, turn out to be big impact guys in the playoffs, you know, guys who for various reasons weren't in the rotation. Um, you know, I'm still optimistic that those guys are, are worth keeping around and, and competing for, for spots uh, on in the rotation next year. And obviously, depending on what happens this summer, um, you know, again, like I, I, I worry a little bit about sort of the overall talent level of this team from this year to next year. But um, I think there is an opportunity with, you know, again, it's, it, this was a much more veteran team than maybe a lot of people kind of perceive them as you know when you Mm -hmm. look at kind of the key guys especially in the playoffs um but you at least do have um kind of the outlines of some younger players as well who um i think made some strides this year and hopefully you know especially under bud and the coaching staff's tutelage can continue to grow and um and be ready to step up and and be more important players next year which you know again i mean if you're gonna continue to grow as a team especially when you're capped out um you know you you need your good players to keep getting better which i think is realistic for Giannis probably harder for a lot of the other kind of more veteran yeah, guys yeah. but for some of these younger guys i think that's really where you know those guys become really important and again not we're not expecting them to be all-stars um but for you know one or two of those guys to be like really good rotation players slash spot starters if needed at times um that obviously also kind of i think helps kind of the big picture long term yeah i think that kind of gets into a next step is those those younger players like you talked about like sterling like divincenzo like dj wilson do need to take a step up because when you're talking about a team that's about to max out or probably max out their salary as far as like the owners are willing to pay, you need to fill in those margins with cheap players, with draft picks. And Milwaukee's going to be really void of draft picks in the coming year. I mean, they only have the 30th pick in this draft, um, and that's if they keep that. So I think that they do need you know, in, increased um, contributions from those players. And I think it's a totally realistic possibility. I, I get some flack on Twitter for hating DJ Wilson, but I just think that he just needed another year to mature. He did some really good things, but he also has some very glaring weaknesses. Um, and so I think he just needs that this this summer to get more adjusted to Budenholzer's offense and to really refine his game, especially around the rim and from the free throw line and even his three-point shot. So I think that he'll come back ready, and that'll be an area in a position that Milwaukee will need. You know, I doubt they'll bring back Miritich, but I think, yeah, as far as the next step, they just need those younger players because I don't think, you know, Brogdon and Middleton are who they are at this point. Giannis, he should keep getting better, but that's really kind of all they have on their roster as far as people who 
might get better. And so it's just Giannis and those other three guys as far as um, I can think off the top of my head. So I think it really comes down to that. But jumping back up to the what worked well category, do you have anything else that fits in the, in there as far as what worked well for the Bucks this past season? Um, I mean, I think the obvious one is just, you know, Giannis sort of taking that that next leap to, um, you know, being the centerpiece of, of a team that obviously competes at the highest level, uh, you know, and, and maybe not in those last few games of the playoffs, but uh, certainly, you know, being being the fulcrum of a, you know, top three offense and defense and um, a 60 win team, that's rarefied air. And, you know, there haven't been many guys who put up anything close to Giannis's numbers, but we also see guys who put up big numbers that maybe don't affect winning at the end of the day in the way that you might hope. Uh, and so if I think for Giannis to kind of fully embrace sort of a role and again, it took some growing and um, he didn't have a perfect year. I mean, his, his jump shot, his free throw stroke. I mean, those were, he couldn't close games according to Ryan Hollins. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it wasn't like, this was like fully maxed out Giannis, right? I mean, this wasn't even the best we've seen Giannis in terms of free throw shooting, in terms of three-point shooting, right? I mean, it's not even like, oh, he has to become a good three-point shooter to get better. I mean, even if he's like the three-point shooter he was last year percentage-wise, you know, the free throw shooter he was, you know, a year or two ago percentage-wise, I mean, those would be like, you know, real, actually like pretty pretty solid improvements on Mm -hmm. what he was this year. So the fact that um, he took this big leap has become you know part of that like best player in the world conversation and it's not about just the future with Giannis right it's not just people saying like oh look out he's gonna you know year two like oh if he gets if he gets a jump shot right people are still <laughs> gonna say that um but it's really more about like well no he he is kind of like all these things already and I think you know we can talk maybe a bit about maybe seeing some of the limitations of him like that he does actually at least currently have at least some ceiling of there are ways that you can slow him down in the playoffs that we saw but um you know overall i think even when he struggled you know i mean the numbers he put up against toronto weren't up to his standards but you know again if you win the series like nobody's talking about Giannis like oh he's not not good enough right or mm-hmm. he can't he can't be that guy in the playoffs so um i think him kind of becoming the i don't want to say fully fully realized but you know, the fact that the Bucks had like a very logical kind of thesis for how this team was going to work and it was going to be really based around what he can do offensively. It's going to be based around what he can do defensively. And the fact that it just worked, it worked in, you know, on both ends and they were able to kind of fully realize that, um, you know, I, again, I think for everybody who grew up, you know, as a Bucks fan, I, I think you do have to just sort of pinch yourself at times that, this guy is, is is a buck and that you know we've seen him grow up in and evolve into this incredible player and that all while doing so he also is this guy who's growing into being a leader being um a guy who kind of seems to just kind of pull together like all all the best attributes that you'd want just in terms of being a great teammate being an interesting you know guy a good quote Mm-hmm. Um, likable, but also super serious. You know, he's got like Kobe's work ethic. <laughs> kind of like, you know, there's some there's some Tim Duncan in there. Mm-hmm. He's not a prick. Like, you know, he's nice. Like, I, mean, I don't know. It's just like you, you kind of sometimes you're just like, is he really? Is, there's got to be more. There's got to be some something here we're not seeing, right? But um, just know, again, his I, jump I just, shot. Yeah, just his jump shot. But I mean, again, like the you know, just to to think about kind of like where he's he's gotten to, and and obviously this year being. Um, another big big step forward. Uh, it's 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 pretty remarkable, and I think regardless of what happens with the Bucks moving forward, I mean, we're going to be privileged to watch this guy, hopefully for many many years to come, 
and you know again like part of me is like wow man i just want to fast forward to the playoffs next year i know <laughs> try, i know try to get back but then part of me is also like man i just love watching Giannis play basketball <laughs> and i i want to cherish 82 games of watching him do what he can do too um so it's it's just you know again like with all the frustration of the last week i think you know always good to kind of step back and just take stock of kind of what we have as a fan base watching watching a guy like him work and grow and obviously hopefully the best is yet to come yeah i mean i think his progression was incredible it's amazing to think about like how great he was last year and just how much better he was this season so i think that's crazy and as far as what happened against toronto i mean that was by design. That's what the Raptors wanted. They put the best defender in the world on him, and that still wasn't enough as far as they're concerned. They were still sending double teams. Right. Um, and so, I mean, that was by design. They they literally said, we're going to give the give you the best defender in the world and then some, um, and then another seven-footer running at you when you touch the ball in the corners, you know, things like that. And so it's hard to put that blame on him. I mean, I think... I don't want to say it was an anomaly as far as what happened in those four games because, I mean, that's not a huge sample size, but it's still four games worth. Um, But I think that was just like, you know, he trusted his teammates to make the right plays off those double teams, and they just couldn't ever figure it out. But I think, yeah, him taking that next step um, was definitely very encouraging this season. What do you... what category would you put their defensive scheme in? Um, like overall, it's kind of hard right now based on how the postseason finished. Maybe um, some people might see their defense as a reason for why they lost the series. I see that as really a minor issue. But where would you put their defensive scheme as something that worked well or something that's a worry? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I mean, I think it's absolutely a, a plus, right? I mean, I think, um, I think again, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I think everybody's hoping that that Brook Lopez comes back. Uh, I think certainly the kind of zone, you know, the kind of dropping conservative scheme, obviously, suited Brooks' talents extremely well. Um, so certainly, like you know, if you had to lose Brook, then I think obviously a lot of questions would be like well you know do you do you change some do you, you know who do you who do you replace him with do you go smaller like what do you do um but you know i think again just at a at a really fundamental level i mean just kind of the i mean it, it it's the bucks were kind of a nice team to cover because like it was just very i don't say transparent but i mean it was a very clear storyline for them mm-hmm. right the way that they basically just said you will not get layups you will not get easy baskets we will not foul you um you're going to have to kill us with jump shots and if you miss we're gonna get the rebound um unfortunately not uh in the last couple of games of the <laughs> not that, on the that stretch was, that was uh pretty pretty cruel with some of those offensive rebounds but um overall you know i think certainly like what we saw um i think again it's not as like sexy as kind of like switch everything and, and, make, and make everyone be mobile and, and and do all that but you know i think we've also seen that there are kind of limitations to 
kind of only doing that as well. I mean, the Rockets sort of had to go away from that at times this year. Um, you know, they had, you know, Rockets had problems with Capella being kind of out on the floor, switching all the time. Um, you know, again, I think you have to be able to play maybe, you know, probably different ways, right? Depending on matchups and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I think, you know, again, like over an 82 game season, um, I think, you know, the proof was in the pudding with, with how well they defended and, you know, to go from below average to, you know, the, the best efficiency mark in the league and, and turning around to some of the things like whether it was fouling or defensive rebounding the way they did from, you know, literally last or second to last to, to best or second best. I mean, it, it speaks volume just about the importance of coaching and scheme. And obviously, I think they, they got kind of as much as you could have hoped. And, and again, like in the playoffs, I think certainly questions like, you know, did they overhelp? Were they, you know, did they all catch a little bit of the pat, you know, kind of tinnitus um, in terms of, you know, sprinting out and getting out of position and, you yes. know, getting drive and kick to death. Um, yeah, I think there was some problems with that. But by the same token, it's like, you know, the Raptors didn't kill them with offense really, right? I mean, right. the Raptors had like one great offensive game in game four, I think. And then other than that, I mean, as much as it seemed like they were making every shot, it was mostly just Fred, Fred Van Fleet, Lowry doing that to some extent. Um, you know, overall, I mean, the defensive kind of results were, I mean, they defended well enough to win that series, right? I mean, if they literally get anything out of their half-court offense, then I think they win that series in, you know, five or six. But obviously, um, you know, that that side of the ball, I think, let them down. and um, Which was interesting because certainly, I think, you know, especially after the Boston series, you know, we were so focused on, whether teams could exploit Brooke Lopez and, you know, defensively, like are the Bucks going to be, you know, gimmicked to death or is their defense going to prove gimmicky in some respect then to have kind of the offense be the thing that lets you down, you know, for, for Giannis to not play up to his ability and, and really, you know, I mean, you could kind of go down the list of guys, especially like the, the top guys in your rotation kind of fall short in a lot of ways, you know, Bledsoe kind of just disappearing and um, Middleton obviously didn't shoot two pointers as well as you'd like, still shot the three ball well. Um, Meritich, you know, obviously for him to get benched in like, an elimination game, right? I mean, I, I certainly didn't expect that. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously one of those things that the defense, I think, lived up to their end of the bargain overall and and even in that final, final you know, six games of the playoffs uh, against Toronto. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, it's like you hope that maybe some chinks in the armor there as far as offensively, like, you know, kind of what do they do? I think that's certainly an mm-hmm. interesting question. Um, you know, they kind of, I think, established a really good baseline for how they want to play. So now that, you know, if you're bringing back the same group, can you now layer on kind of more complexity and different things now that you've sort of like got your training wheels off and everybody kind of gets it? Um, I think that's certainly an interesting question. Um, because, you know, it's, it's interesting how much Giannis and even Chris, how much the burden was on them to, to score and make plays for others. Like, you know, Chris Middleton to go from being a guy who, you know, 90% of his threes are assisted to 60% this year to have to, you know, he was what the second highest efficiency ISO scorer this year behind James Harden among high volume guys. Um, you know, a lot was asked of those guys. I mean, Giannis, his unassisted dunk numbers. I mean, there was a huge burden placed on those mm-hmm. guys to create offense and draw, you know, draw opponent attention and things like that. And so I think certainly we saw the limits of that against Toronto. And so I think certainly like, you know, again, yeah, I mean, what is the get Giannis an easy dunk play? You know, like let's mm-hmm. let's put some more of those. You know, Brian, you, you do some film work and, and go find me some you know Giannis easy lob dunk plays. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, again, I think that's that's certainly what from a coaching perspective. Like, how do you how do you get those guys in more positions to succeed without you know again because um, those guys are the main shot creators on this team. 
Um, that's that's certainly something you should watch. But I guess to return to your original point, defensively, I mean, after years of frustration of watching Jason Kidd coach his team, I mean, this was you know obviously a, a totally different story this year. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think was their defense elite in the playoffs or against the Raptors? No, was it great? No, but it was good. It was good enough to win. In so I agree with you. Like I have defensive scheme in the what worked well category, um, and they even they mixed stuff up. I mean, we we thought that they would, or some people thought that they would be really rig. Rigid, rigid in the playoffs and stick with that drop but they showed that they would mix things up I mean even if it was small adjustments like usually when they're playing their pick and roll coverage even if they weren't switching they weren't doing uh, Lopez wasn't dropping nearly as deep as he was in the regular season and so they did switch things up and try to give Raptors and the Celtics different looks um, so I think their defense was good enough and I don't think they need to overhaul a, a worry that I have is kind of their half-court offense but kind of like the creativity in their half court offense I mean they're they ran the same stuff all year long and it got to the point where teams knew what was coming and even though they had options on options on options it's still kind of like you said that burden was on Giannis to either get into the paint and score or get into the paint and kick it out or on different guys Brogdon to a smaller extent Middleton like you talked about and so that was just one worry that I have is just um, and kind of a next step is to build off of their offense. Like you said, if this is their base or their pillars, like what is that next step or what's that next next natural progression um, to their offense? I mean, maybe it's mixing in some more set plays. Budenholzer did a great job throughout the year. I think you said this in your Lockdown Bucks podcast yesterday about like with the ATOs and creativity, but maybe he mixes some of those in some more floppy action. Um with a guy like Middleton who can catch and shoot, uh, somebody like that. I think just, I think that is their half court offense worked well throughout the regular, regular season, but when it really got amped up and you had to lock it down in the postseason, that was something that we saw them struggle with. And part of it too, is the Raptors are just a very good half court defense who matched up really well with them. And they had a great game plan, but I think just having, um, some more creativity in their offense, um, something that maybe isn't so set in stone as far as their five out or their sideline offense, um, something like that. So that's just something that I have in my worries category. Um, is there anything that you have for your worries category that we haven't touched on yet? I mean, we talked a lot. Uh, I mean, we're, we're going to talk a lot on our podcast and on Twitter and everywhere about obviously just sort of financially, like where does this team go? Um, and I, I mean, I've talked about just sort of the life cycle of kind of rosters and especially when you kind of start to be competitive and contend stuff starts to get expensive uh you tend to not have lots of young guys on rookie deals you tend to have veteran guys you tend to you know need to pay your own guys a lot of money to keep them um that's just sort of like the the natural kind of way that that teams evolve and obviously there's you know uh versions of that that kind of like go awry where you just kind of you know it's like the calves the the first iteration of the lebron calves right where they kind of just pile tons of money behind guys who you know were not all-star level players were kind of like guys on the downside of their careers um and you know obviously that's sort of partly blamed for why lebron left and so you know again like you can't just take the mindset of like well if you were a buck last year we're just gonna like cash your checks because we, we can't replace you um 
but I think certainly like this is where you have to make difficult decisions about, you know, who, who do you value and, and where do you kind of, you know, use your, your caps, you know, your, well, I won't say cap space. Cause again, it's, it's more just your, let's say your room under the luxury tax, uh, <laughs> and, and possibly over the luxury tax. Um, so obviously, you know, the, the obvious decisions with that are, are Middleton and, and Brogdon and, um, you know, again, everything, everything's great. Everybody, you know, is happy when Chris Middleton's making, you know, $13 million a year and, underpaid and, and everything like that and then one the happy Spectre is not the word i'd use well yeah people people seem to like always be disappointed with chris milton for some reason it's just familiarity breeds breeds contempt i guess um but uh uh yeah i mean it's it's just kind of like you know one of those things that that obviously you know the, the longer a team goes like the less they're kind of like option you know the more they're kind of options constrict because you have to kind of make decisions about who you're gonna pay um, and if you, you know, if you don't pay people, then there's suddenly a lot more pressure to find guys, you know, find a Brooke Lopez every year. And mm-hmm. again, we can, we can just say like, well, John Horst, you should go find Brooke Lopez every year, <laughs> but that's hard. You know, like if we want the team to succeed at a high level, then, you know, you kind of have to treat that as like a, a nice to have and a hope to have. Uh, and you hope that, you know, your front office can keep delivering those guys, but as far as expecting that and demanding it, you know, I mean, again, that's, that's really difficult. So I think that's obviously kind of, the, you know, the biggest worry, just like, how do you kind of make sure that you maintain the talent level and momentum moving forward? And again, I think you can certainly keep the general talent level, but you know, we don't know if George Hill's going to be back. You're going to have to, you know, wave him, and then you might be able to bring him back, um, on a cheap, cheap deal. Um, obviously Lopez, you, you, you know, I, I certainly hope that, um, you can probably get him for, something in the kind of $10 million range. Um, but again, like, you know, is this team going to have all the talent that it had this year? Well, I mean, I think Miritich is gone, you know, um, you're, you are going to rely on those guys. We mentioned those younger guys to have to get better. And so I think it's possible, you know, we might look back five years from now and say like, well, that was actually the most talented team we had around Giannis. Um, I think the flip side is I think Giannis will continue to get better. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think even if this team, maybe isn't quite as good or as as you know deep um or doesn't perform at quite the same level in the regular season next year uh i don't think that precludes them from competing for a championship especially if you know they kind of you know i think it's pretty common to see like teams maybe sort of settle in a little bit more um but again if they win 55 games it's not like their like championship window is closed or something like that so um i think just in general like you know just how you manage sort of this roster moving forward is probably the thing that worries me most and i mean you already talked about the offense and trying to diversify um and i think again just you know do you have you know is not having um that second superstar player is that like ultimately too big of an ask for uh, for Giannis to to carry right um mm-hmm. you know i think toronto's Kawhi's kind of doing that right now um, we'll see kind of what happens with them in the playoffs, and we'll see if Kawhi even sticks <laughs> sticks around, right? Which would certainly make it easier for the Bucks next year if, if he goes to the Western Conference. Um, so, I mean, I think, again, like, it's only natural to, like, you know, again, when you get to this rarefied air, like, you always wish you had a little bit more talent. Um, so as much as I think the Bucks are good enough to win a championship with who they've got, yeah, I mean, they don't have that, that you know, four or five all-star type type roster that like Golden State has, uh, or you know even Philly, right? I mean Philly has, you know, I think you could say like Philly has more kind of like quote unquote top end talent or, or kind of like high ceiling type players than than the Bucks do. We'll see kind of what they do with those guys, but mm-hmm. um, but that's you know I think a, a worry. Um, I don't think it doesn't keep me up at nights because I think it, it kind of is what it is. Like you know I don't 
think there's a lot of opportunities to kind of upgrade from that, um, which, you know, maybe people don't want to hear. But, um, you know, again, I think that's that's the reality of, of competing for championships. Like, you know, you start to have to worry about things on the margin, even though mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, things are actually looking pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last worry that I just wanted to touch on, and yeah, so it's about Budenholzer's um, minutes distribution for Giannis um, and slash Giannis's stamina. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. What like it's a great thing that Giannis was uh, rested and saved throughout the regular season. I think Budenholzer did a really nice job of that. You know, his minutes per game came way down. Um, and even in the postseason for a long time until the Toronto series, his minutes per game in the postseason was down even lower than, you know, regular season. And obviously a lot of that had to do with Detroit series where he barely, you know, he never played more than 32 minutes. And then in the Boston series, he never played more than 40 minutes. Um, and so my only worry about that is, and I've we've seen it a couple of years as far as like Giannis's stamina too. I just you know f- wonder if he's built to go forty four minutes, forty six minutes, whatever, and still be efficient. I feel like a lot of times he's huddled over. You know he plays extremely hard. He does take his plays off here and there, but for the most part he plays extremely hard. And I just wonder if if that's played into Budenholzer's reasoning at all or if his stamina wasn't the greatest because he didn't really ever have the chance to build up. You know, a lot of times we'll see with players where as it gets toward the end of the year or, you know, February, March, they start to build up their minutes. But that was never really had to be the case with Giannis because the Bucks were involved in a lot of blowouts. And then down the stretch of the regular season, I mean, he didn't play in three of the final six games and then barely broke with sweat in Detroit. And so then it's just hard to switch gears from playing 32 minutes a night to playing 40, 42 minutes at a high level and really building that up in a couple weeks span. And so maybe worry is too strong, but that's just something that I'm interested in and just have thoughts about or wonders around as far as could that have been handled differently or is it just because maybe Giannis isn't built. I mean, it takes a special human being like Kawhi Leonard to defend the best player, carry the offense alone, and still play however many minutes he played. So it's just a wonder that I have is, could that have been handled differently? Or is it just not conditioning? I don't want to get Giannis's, I don't want people to think I'm talking about his conditioning, but just his natural stamina to not be able to play at an elite level for 44 minutes a game or whatever the case is. Yeah, I mean, I... As you're talking about, I think back to um, the game six against the Raptors two, uh, a couple years ago, um, where yep. I forget I forget the, how many minutes he played, but it was close to 48. Uh, and it was actually interesting. I mean, there were there were some sound bites from the huddle um, with Jason Kidd, where he was just basically like exhorting them all to like you know, like start you know, guys, this is it. Like you know, like you're just mm-hmm. gonna have to you're just gonna have to gut through this. And you know, Giannis just seemed to be like. I mean, at times in that game, it was it was like painful to watch. I mean, yeah. he was missing free throws, like looked exhausted, um, and especially I don't think it's just the total minutes too, but it's like, I mean, how often does Giannis play more than like eight minutes in a row? Like very rarely, right? I mean, he gets a rest halfway through the first quarter, pretty much. He gets a rest, you know, maybe a third or like halfway through a second quarter like he's he he i don't know i'd I'd be fascinated to know how many times he played a full quarter this year i'm guessing you could probably count it on one hand 
if if he did, if he did it all, I'm sure he did it at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because I think then to play the way he does, because as you, I mean, I totally agree. Like, you know, he's not like, you know, kind of like current LeBron who mm-hmm. has figured out how to kind of coast defensively and preserve his stamina and walk the ball up and you know pick his <laughs> spots like that. Like, that's not like what Giannis does when he gets the ball he's pushing the tempo when he's playing defense he's running around doing kind of everything he can um and so it's it's you 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 don't want to shut that off um but I'm sure he'll learn to maybe kind of pick his spots more as he as he matures Mm -hmm. and I think it is an interesting question just about you know is there maybe something to this as far as um would it maybe be better to yeah to kind of experiment more with giving him longer run at times um, you know, ultimately, I don't think you want to. You know, I mean, it's, we're not saying play him 36 minutes a game in the regular season. Right, again. right. I think you know. I think generally, like I'll trust the science and what the Bucks performance staff wants to do in terms of limiting him there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it, it's still crazy. I, mean, I think it was LeBron. One of LeBron's first few years in the league, he averaged 45 minutes per game during like a multi-round playoff uh, season, and. It's just like nuts, right? Because like just the idea that like they didn't have blowouts where he could rap, right? He could it's just kind of crazy. It's like, what? is that just malpractice? Like, what? you know, because I think it's one thing to like you know be able to play forty five minutes or whatever when you need to, but then also like to just average that literally every game is is kind of crazy. And obviously, we don't we're not suggesting that. Um, and we're very big fans of blowouts and which Giannis can you know mm-hmm. not have to go forty minutes. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Definitely not like, you know, high on our list, but, um, especially as the kind of playoff microscope gets more intense, um, you know, you're going to want to see him play 42, 44 minutes rather than the 39 or 40. Right. And again, even on the margins, Giannis in those like extra, you know, uh, in those extra minutes should always be better than whoever you can bring off the bench. And so there's, there's obviously some limit to that. I don't think he can go 48 minutes, but finding what that is is probably something that that would help and and again i don't know how eager bud is going to be for that because he made a big deal about pushing back on Giannis, who always wants to play more um but yeah i think i think that's maybe one of the most interesting things about next playoffs will be how much does bud change right how much does bud change in the regular season how much does bud change next playoffs and i guess we'll see yeah i mean i just think he's a smart coach like he knows what he's doing he's proven that and I think there's might be a reason why he gave Giannis 14 rests in the fourth quarter or whatever it was. Um, obviously, that's sarcasm and exaggeration factor, but I, and he'd be the last person to say, "Well, hey, like if I don't give him those rests, he can't go hard enough." If that's the case, but just a wondering that I have in yeah that Toronto game, I can still remember he's hunched over, just sweating, like taking all his time before a free throw. You know, it's just something that kind of had popped up in my head. So, moving on to next steps do you what do you think the bucks next step is in your mind and like i said that could be salary cap team building anything like what's their biggest next step um before we wrap up i mean i think you know to to talk about really something very different from bringing back kind of the core of this team i think again would would be just very speculative like I, I don't know exactly what their options would be i mean again like we i think as fans like we talk about like oh well give you know boyan bogdanovich x million a year instead of chris middleton give you know this guy this instead of chris middleton go yeah you know if you don't sign brogdon do this right and it's like well i mean 
does Boyan Bogdanovich want to come here? Is there another team that was going to pay him a lot more? I mean, we kind of just sort of take for granted that you can kind of make all these moves if you just kind of want to. It works um, in 2K. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the easiest thing for me, and again, you can call this lazy uh, or you can call it pragmatic slash realistic. I, I think it's both of the latter two things rather than just, just lazy, but it's also easier to kind of like think through. But certainly, I mean, if you want to, Again, compete at a similar level to this year. I mean, the easiest thing is is you know don't don't totally change things up from from what work. Um, and so you know, kind of the the outline of things that that I think is probably the easiest way to 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 do that in a way that I think manages risk as far as the tax and getting hard cap and things like that is you know you renounce Nico Meritich. That's the guy you lose. Uh, you buy out George Hill because um, you can't pay him eighteen million dollars next year. Uh, and then what you do is you essentially try to get Brook Lopez with um, cap space, but around 10 million, you, you can have about 10 million in cap space while keeping Brogdon and Middleton's cap holds. Um, and so you can offer Brook pretty close to the mid level, like a little bit more than the than the non tax mid level. Um, and obviously, then you figure out whatever the number of years that you need on that. I, you know, I don't know exactly how much Brook would want or need as far as the number of years, but um, bring back Lopez. I think that's a big priority for me. Um, you know, the, the, the pairing we had with Giannis and his ability to defend and stretch the floor is, I don't know who else is going to do that, who's, who's available. Um, so to be able to bring back Brooke and, you know, just the kind of person he is too and the unselfishness and the way he kind of meshed with everybody, obviously it's a big plus. So bring him back um, with cap space. And then uh, you'd still have the room mid-level exception, which is around $5 million, to um, either maybe you sign George Hill or maybe you find somebody else who fills George Hill's role as far as, you know, guard depth behind uh Bledsoe and Brogdon um you know again I think having that third guard who can handle it and play with those guys is really valuable just because I think Malcolm to me is is better as guy who's not having to kind of run the whole offense um and it's not necessarily meant to knock on him but um so you know again if, if George Hill's willing to take a room uh exception um, or, or I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Pat Beverly is going to get. Maybe more than five million dollars a year. You know, I, I think he's good. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other guys right, who might who may be in that range? You know, certainly you could you could think about maybe other guys who might be in that discussion. But um, but you know, you have a little flexibility to do that since you didn't use um, a full mid level on on Brook. And then it just comes down to what you have to do to keep Middleton and and Brogdon, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Brogdon obviously you can kind of maybe play the wait and see game a little bit because he's a restricted free agent the challenge is you don't want to like offer him like you know the insulting deal right um that he then gets bitter over and sours on the team over um but ultimately you have leverage and i think you know to throw him some monster deal without you know knowing that the market is at least there for him is also not smart financially just given how tight things are going to get and then obviously with chris i mean again like i Chris, I mean, I think all indications are he's their number one priority. He's the guy that certainly Giannis, I think, wants back the most, which is not a trivial thing when Giannis is a year away from being Supermax eligible. Um, and obviously Chris and what he's meant to, to this team in general. So, I mean, I think there's a high probability Chris gets tied up on, you know, day one of free agency. You know, I think if they're in the ballpark of, of you know, a four-year max deal, like, I mean, again, is Chris going to turn his back on the Bucks and sign for like a tiny bit more or something like that from another team? I mean, like, yeah. I don't think I don't think he would take it that personally. 
Um, but I also don't think like, I mean, the Bucks can't offer him four years, 80 million and expect him to be like, oh, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Right. right. Someone is going to offer him way more than that. And, you know, if you're Chris, like, I mean, how much of a discount are you willing to take? Because obviously that speaks to the way a team values you. So I think, again, I think he's going to be back. I think Brogdon likely also is back. Um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much kind of the foot concerns uh, and, you know, the fact that he's obviously not super young for his draft class, I mean, being 26 already, um, I'll be interested to see how much that plays sort of into how much teams are willing to kind of, how many years and, and the kind of size of a deal people are willing to go for with him. Um, but you never know, right? I mean, the, it's free agency. There's going to be tons and tons of money available. There are tons of players out there. Uh, it, it's going to be chaos. Um, so I think that's sort of my outline for what I expect will happen this summer. Um, I think, again, I think on Brooke and Chris, I think they're probably going to try to get those deals sort of lined up so that there's not a lot of drama uh, about those guys looking for other options. Cause again, there's hard to kind of go find outside free agents to, to kind of fill what they did for this team. If, if you don't get them back. Um, and then I think Brogdon is probably the, will be the guy that probably has the most drama just around, you know, is, you know, and if I were him too, I'd probably sit tight and see if, you know, a big offer sheet came my way. Um, but again, I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure if it'll it'll happen, uh, but I think certainly the Bucks are uh, are going to be very interested in bringing him back. But again, there's probably is some limit to to what that is. And then you know you're probably in the tax a, a little bit if you if you kind of get you know if you get Chris near a max if you get Malcolm in like the 15 16 million starting range, which I'm just guessing at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you're probably five six seven million over the tax at that point. But you also still have Ilyasova. You still have Snell's deal, which obviously is you know at this point not not a very good value contract for what his role is. You know, can you trade Snell's contract? That's tough. Um, and I think not without an asset or a pick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and obviously, you know, to work out a deal to trade the the 30th overall pick, you know, after it's made, so you're not violating the Stepien rule. Again, like you're doing all of that before you even know what happens in free agency. Mm. So the timing is just very precarious to do something like that. So. I, again, I don't. I wouldn't. I mean, and again, and also with the tax. I mean, you don't have to be under the tax until the end of the season. So, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they end up going into the tax during the summer, and then, you know, it's basically up to John Horst to try to figure out a way to to get off the tax um, during the summer slash into the season, right? And and that's where a guy like Urson, right, on a seven million dollar expiring, like, mm-hmm. does some team say? Oh, I've got a trade exception. Like, I'll just take him because I need a guy like him. Um, I'm sure Bud wouldn't be happy about that. But you know, again, <laughs> if, if that gets you under the tax, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if certainly ownership says uh, we like Ursan, but we don't like him that much. Uh, and then you'd obviously need to kind of figure out some what to do about depth. But but anyway, so that that's my kind of long-winded sort of best guess at what we might see this summer. And again, it's maybe a little boring, but I think when you win 60 games and you know come within you know. Uh, a couple breaks or a couple hot shooting performances from being in the NBA Finals, like or even boring. average shooting performances, or even average shooting performances. Yeah, then uh, boring isn't isn't that bad. Yeah, there's definitely no question that this summer, this offseason will set up the Bucks for years to come, and will probably even shape Giannis's future with the team. Uh, so yeah, definitely lots of moves, <clears throat> and I'm it'll de- it'll be debated till we're all blue in the face about what exactly is going to happen or what people think is going to happen. 
So that's all that I have, Frank. I appreciate you. Thank you for stopping by on your media tour. Uh, you guys can find Frank on Twitter at FMaddenNBA. He also does Locked on Bucks with Eric Name. And you, you're you doing a podcast after this, so check it out on uh, Thursday, maybe? Uh, maybe. Well, maybe. You, you guys know where to find their podcast, so check them out next time they go out. So thank you, Frank. I, Frank, I appreciate it. Absolutely, Brian. Love your stuff on Twitter and on Brew Hoop, and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. I hope you all enjoyed that, as Frank is extremely knowledgeable about the Bucks and an all-around good person. So, the last bit I wanted to touch on was my role on Twitter with Brian O'Ringer over the weekend. This whole saga went viral and was all over social media, and at least the part on Sunday that was triggered by me, uh, it started with me tweeting GTFOH to one of Brian's tweets claiming that the Bucks fans were up in arms when Russell Westbrook was not answering someone's questions from the media, but then excused Giannis for walking out on his question uh, after Malika Andrews had re- dropped this article about Giannis's future right after game six, and then she started to ask a question in his presser, and he walked out. And so my role in that was tweeting GTFOH at him. Brian then immediately messaged me telling me to take a chill pill in the DMs, but half hour later, after I didn't respond, he hopped in there saying all sorts of things and threatening me to watch my mouth. I then posted that screenshot, but anyways, I'm here to talk about me and my role. Should I have tweeted that at him? Probably not, no. Should I have tweeted the screenshot of his DMs? I legit don't know the answer to that question. Some people reached out to me saying I did the right thing. Others reached out to me and said it made me look like an ass. I I thought about it at the time. I've thought about it for days now, and I still don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if I ever will. It's not black or white. What I do know is that I just want to move on. This interaction is not who I am and not who I strive to be. And frankly, I'm embarrassed by my role and just want to show everyone who the real me is. I'm not here on this podcast to make promises that'll change this or that. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to show everyone who the real me is and treat you how you want to be treated.